Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, since we last spoke, there's been a lot going on. I was in Canton, Ohio for a few days. You were here in Green Bay covering the Packers in training camp and through family night. Let's start with what's going on with the 2018 Packers. Some news uh, with regards to the starting offensive tackles here. Brian Balaga, David Bakhtiari, why don't you get us up to date? Well, first off with Balaga, being able to make it back to the practice field on Friday for the first time, getting cleared and activated from that physically unable to perform list. Uh, less than nine months since his ACL That's injury. Amaz That's amazing. Last November uh, against the uh, Detroit Lions, I believe it was. An unbelievable turnaround for him to be back and play. I know he said he was pushing Doc McKenzie to be able to be cleared in time for training camp. That was his big goal. But as he also admitted, there was kind of this thinking they wanted to get closer to that nine-month mark with his recovery. Now, he's coming along slowly. Uh, they're not just obviously throwing him back into team periods of that. They're, they're just letting him get his feet back underneath him. He did, uh, on a precautionary basis, on a planned basis, sat out of Saturday night's family night practice. But uh, the fact that Brian Balaga is back out there is a big, big thing for this offensive line. Uh, and then David Bakhtiari uh, actually exited that family night practice with an ankle injury. By all accounts so far, it looks like he averted disaster. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll see where all that lines up. Kyle Murphy got some extra reps at that left tackle position. Jason Spriggs getting a lot of work as well. So um, I think the hope is, though, in summation of all this, is the Packers are hopeful their left tackle, right tackle be in place for the start of the regular season. Yeah, and I, I just have to say what an impressive recovery by, by Brian Balaga because I'll admit, when Mike McCarthy said at the start of training camp that week one was on the table for Brian Bullock, I was I was surprised. It wasn't something that I expected to hear just because these ACL recoveries can sometimes be so extensive and so difficult to get through. Bullock had already gone through one a few years ago. I'm sure that was a factor. But also just knowing, having covered this team since 2006, the conservative nature of Dr. McKenzie with regards to injuries and getting players back out on the field. We saw it with Jordy Nelson when he came back from his ACL. I just really didn't think even as hard as Balaga maybe wanted to push Dr. McKenzie that he would necessarily get the medical clearance this early, but hats off to him. Kudos to him for where he is right now. Put in a lot of work to get to this point, yeah. and, and you look at his recovery, his timeline, he said it a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he benefited. He feels he benefited greatly from that first experience back in 2013, knowing what the aches and pains are going to be like, how you need to push yourself through that. On a side note, I was actually talking to Dimitri Goodson for a story I'm working on this week about his own journey. Uh, he mentioned that the toughest thing is, is you got to stay in a routine because if you don't, that's where the soreness comes from. That's where you start to really feel it. And you just got to trust that you're doing the right things day in and day out so that as it gradually goes on, that soreness goes away. And, and for Balaga to be able to make this kind of turnaround, uh, I, I, it's a major boost for the Packers' offensive line and, and obviously this offense and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and let me ask you this, because I was long car ride with our um, video producer, Mike Atkinson. He was uh, um, – you know, gracious enough to do the entire drive from Green Bay to Canton. His avalanche. He had all the, yeah, the big, the big avalanche truck. He had all his camera equipment loaded up in the back. But we're driving along the Ohio Turnpike late on Thursday afternoon to get to Canton, and I start flipping through Twitter and seeing what's going on. And this uh, 
touchdown pass by Aaron Rodgers in practice on Thursday? It sounds like I missed something pretty spectacular. I really wish you could have seen it, Mike. I wrote about that in Inbox because for my money, this is training camp number eight that I've covered in some form or fashion. Okay. Um, and we talk about it all the time. Aaron Rodgers makes amazing plays on a daily basis. Mike McCarthy even mentioned it. Nothing surprised you. Randall Cobb <laughs> said, nothing surprises you. I got to be honest with you, though. That throw kind of surprised me a little bit. Because <laughs> here's the thing you got to understand about Aaron Rodgers. So it's a two-minute situation. They're down. It's fourth and ten. They're at their own. They're at the 26-yard line at this point in time. Aaron Rodgers, like Aaron Rodgers does, coaxes the defense into an offside. So now he's not getting one but two plays with those eight seconds left. So everybody runs their go route. Everybody's jetting off to the end zone. Aaron Rodgers rolls left. And if you look at it, Mike, he did one quick look to the right side of the field. He's on the left side of the hash marks at this point. Okay. He did one quick look to Geronimo Allison's side of the field and then got his vision back over here and without even looking at Allison, throws it. Pinpoint, perfect pass, puts it in a spot that Allison 6'3", about, is only going to be the, the only player that's going to be able to catch it. He jumps up, pulls it down. It was one of those type of plays, and I was standing with a bunch of other reporters where we're just all like looking at each other like, did that really just happen? <laughs> because you got to remember, what's quarterback 101 going back to high school? You're rolling left, you're on the other you side of the hash marks. don't throw the ball you back across the field. Don't right? throw the ball across the hash marks. And, and Mike McCarthy, I thought it's such a great quote with it too. Every single practice, you could almost create a library out of Aaron Rodgers and the passes he makes. Yeah. That one, though is going to get filed in that special library. It was one of those plays that only a handful of human beings on this earth at any point in time could ever make. Yeah, and I know a lot of the fans have been asking, well, where's the video? We want to see this. I'm sure they want to see the video of the play on the show. But just to explain, during training camp practices, there are certain periods, most of the 11-on-11 full scrimmage-like periods, cameras are not allowed to shoot those plays. So the only video of the play that exists are the actual – the video crew for the Packers, for the team, the coaches and players, they're the ones who have the video of it. Like, we don't have it. We weren't allowed to shoot it. Other TV stations locally around the – nobody else was allowed to shoot it. So just to uh, to clarify that. But let me throw this at you. You mentioned he got a defender to jump off sides and it was a free play. Does he even try that pass if it's not a free play? Probably not. Okay. Probably not. But I thought the thing that was the most interesting about the whole course of events is that Allison talked about this. As a rookie – with thinking of the scramble drill from a textbook perspective, his real instincts would have been to follow Rodgers, to trail left. But after being in the offense for two years, he understands his role is to stay in that area of the field because you just never know what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. So <laughs> you never it, it, know. it was such an interesting thing. And, and as Rodgers said afterwards, it was, it was a heads-up play by Allison. And, and knowing where he's at, you wrote about him last week for our website – it's just the maturation and growth of a football player. Yep. And mm-hmm. Allison had a heck of a family night, too. I mean, this is a guy that you can tell he's not thinking anymore. I mean, he's just doing what he's been coached to do. He's rolling. And he's and he's being able to stay in the moment. That's yep. so important. And I think you have Devontae Adams, you have Randall Cobb. They have numbers of years of experience now. But in terms of that, that big chemistry word we always talk about, Allison started to develop that. And, yeah, you're right. If it's a fourth down and they don't have the free play, maybe he looks a little differently. But 
at the same time, it's Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. You never really can, you know, kind of pigeonhole him to one thing. You never know what he's going to do. Yeah, as you said before, hopefully all the reports on David Bakhtiari remained positive that uh, that any sort of uh, serious problem was averted there. What else jumped out to you as far as family night goes? I know you wrote a little bit about uh, the rookie receiver from Missouri, Jamon Moore. Jamon Moore uh, was uh, it was probably the highlight as far as the play of the day was concerned. Um, Packers, you know, that we had some storms rolling into. Uh, so I think, you know, things was moving with a pretty good tempo, trying to get all their work in. And they were working just in this this red zone period, you know, pass under pressure type period. And basically Moore got himself isolated against, I believe it was Josh Hawkins. Hawkins had really good coverage on the play. But Brett Hundley rolls back and he has a one-on-one situation in the end zone in a red zone period. That's going to be something where a quarterback, specifically if you're looking at Aaron Rodgers in the regular season, he's going to want to be able to trust that receiver to make that play in a 50-50 situation. Jamon Moore did that. Okay. And this is a young man that I know there were some questions about his hands coming out of Mizzou. I think his athletic ability, his size is off the charts. It's exactly what you want for the receiver position. But like any young player, you know, he's had those ups and downs of a training camp. And for him, he said it with two things that really stood out about that family night. One, it was his first chance really getting to play under the lights, uh, not only of Lambeau Field, but, you know, practice in general. They've been all at 11, 11, 15 central time so far. Right. So getting a chance to be in front of that crowd really helped. And also the plays like that. He said that's really what allows Brett Hundley or Deshaun Kaiser, even Aaron Rodgers when he gets the reps with them, to have the trust in him to make that play. It was a really good situation, a really good opportunity. And he went out there, and I thought, you look at his footwork, what he did on to being able to protect that ball, win the 50-50 battle. Uh, he, we need to get to the, some preseason games with all these young receivers to see what they really have. But Absolutely. for him, I think that that was the right step towards that game against the Titans. Well, you mentioned it this week. The Packers are going to pivot their preparation to the preseason opener on Thursday night at Lambeau Field. Um, before we pivot our discussion on this show, though, Wes, a little bit of sponsor business to take care of. At home or here in the stands, we all know that Green Bay fans give it their all, and that takes a lot of energy. So grab a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Packers fans everywhere. Try the delicious classic chicken noodle soup. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, the official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers. Okay, Wes, I mentioned Thursday, the long drive to Canton, Ohio. And I tell you, there were a lot of really, really great moments throughout this weekend with um, Jerry Kramer and covering his long-awaited and long-overdue enshrinement in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But I'm going to mention three of them to you that really stood out to me. Some of them I'm sure you saw on television. One was when he got his gold jacket on Friday night. His daughter, Alicia, who had begun a campaign to sort of keep his candidacy alive, something that, you know, Jerry wasn't necessarily totally on board with when she started it, but she was there to put the gold jacket on him at the Civic Center in downtown Canton. That was that was a special moment. Then on Saturday, I was fortunate enough, and, and Mike Atkinson, our video producer, was with me as well, to be at Jerry Kramer's private party. And uh, I don't know if you saw the picture that I posted on Twitter, but I happened to get a snapshot of Paul Hornig sitting next to Jerry Kramer, both of them wearing their gold jackets. And there was something really, really special about that. And then the speech on Saturday night. I mean, wow. Blue, 
blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. I had to, I had to gather my thoughts quickly and get a story. I wanted to get a story up on our website about that speech as quickly as possible. But the more I've thought about it since Saturday night, I've, I've just been absolutely blown away by what he did up on that stage. And before I get into my uh, little two cents on this, because I'll be honest with you, Mike, the show is unscripted. I was thinking all morning long of what I wanted to say <laughs> in this segment and in, in direct correlation with that speech. But if you haven't had a chance yet, check out Spoff's column from Saturday night. It was exceptional thought really captured the moment and exactly what the emotions are like for a man that's now 82 years old, uh, is still as sharp and witty as ever. Absolutely. And to my, for my money, um, I think that that has to go down as one of the top 10, top five all time hall of fame speeches. And I'll, and I have a number of reasons for this one at no point in that speech, did it ever really feel like it was about Kramer? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I know. It was about his high school coach. It was about Vince Lombardi. And that was, was something I children. pointed out. Yeah, and that was something I pointed out as well. I thought it was incredibly classy and respectful of him that not once in an 18 and a half minute speech did he even mention that he had to wait 40 plus years yeah. for this incredible moment to happen for him. That was an afterthought. It it never it, it never came up and you would have thought it it would have and nobody would have blamed him if he had talked about it. He didn't. He didn't make it about himself. He made it about his feelings about about his team and and about what that team accomplished and how he got to where he did and the people who inspired him along the way and he was using that speech to just try to inspire others much as he has done throughout his entire life and the whole if you can you will you know <laughs> speech and and here here's what stood out to me though the most and obviously I was trying to cover family night and we were we had a monitor up trying to watch the the hall of fame speeches as well but sure. with all due respect to to hall of fame guys that have gone in there and you know given these highfalutin speeches and kind of sort of bast in their own greatness i think that that happens quite a bit Jerry Kramer, what I love the most about his speech is it was 18 minutes long. He could have talked for two hours if he wanted to. And nobody would have complained. Nobody would have complained. <laughs> he was straight to the point, and he's captivating, Michael. And that yeah. isn't news to you and I. No. We've talked no. to him. We've interviewed him. We've seen how he associates with people. Such an engaging man. He's an engaging man with tremendous stories. The Don Chandler story, I thought, was really interesting. Um, I, ha- I was in the press box was in absolute stitches when he told that story about them losing fifty six nothing to the Baltimore oh. Colts, uh, and you know he's saying that they they almost killed the poor pony that was running around yeah. after every touchdown for the Colts. Yeah, the press box in Canton was uh, was cracking up on that one as it well. It was tremendous. Yeah. But the thing I want to ask you the most because you were there, you were experiencing it. We talk so much about Alicia, and you had a chance to speak with her too going into this thing. How emotional was this for them? Because if you watch the monitors, his children in the stands, her on the stage, a guy that committed his entire life to football, you could tell, both for him and the family, just how meaningful that moment was. Yeah, it was it was really incredible. I got a chance to interview Alicia. She was nice enough to come on camera with us at the party on Saturday afternoon. And this is, you know, the Friday night, the gold jacket ceremony is all over. Everybody's had a good night's rest, and everybody's in this great mood for for a party, a fantastic party that was put on. And uh, I get her on camera and just ask her about the gold jacket ceremony, and you could see the emotions like just instantly come back. I mean, you can't escape it. I mean, it was it was uh, it was really something special. And to see to see her put the jacket on him, and then and then to watch Kramer just kind of 
you know, flashed the hands like, Hey, you know, here, I, I mean, it was, it, it was, it was a great moment. And she actually told us then when we did the interview with her, she said she whispered to her dad on the stage, just as they were getting ready. She's like, okay, you ready, dad? You know, I mean, what a moment. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and, and for that to be a private moment with them at the time on Friday night with, you know, thousands of people in the stands at the Civic Center and national television watching the whole ceremony, and they actually get to share that little moment between the two of them when all this is going on. Pretty cool stuff. What was absolutely adorable, too, when they did the gold jacket ceremony, the hot mic that was picking up everything Jerry was saying. So when they finished the video package, I was just laughing my, my butt off when he did the whole long time, you know, when, when they were talking about... <laughs> Uh, or a long time ago, however you put that. And, yeah. um, you know, again, it's such an emotional moment for everybody. And the other thing, the other point I want to make, too, is I, I just think there's something poetic about a man who's 82 years old, I think graduated high school, I want to say, in like 1954 or something like that. And it, to me, in my opinion, it was the power of social media that really helped him elevate his campaign. Uh, Alicia, I remember when I it's went where on, it started for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And Alicia, when I went on, uh, you know, when I got on the beat in 2012, I remember she was just starting her campaign and it was almost heartbreaking every year when they would do the senior finalists and he wouldn't get nominated. And I remember reading that in her post and she always tried to stay positive in 13 and 14 and 15. And then when it finally happened uh, last fall, uh, last summer, it was just, it was incredible, an incredible development, incredible situation for them. And and yeah, I think there was that undeniable factor to it. Rick Goslin said that to you too. I mean, there yeah. was kind of this wart on the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Like, why are you turning your nose up at a guy that was a member of the all all sixties decade team? You know, had all the credentials that he had, but yet, even despite he being eleven time finalist and a former senior finalist, the only one that, in my recollection, hadn't gotten in in terms of the last twenty five years as a senior finalist, it was disappointing, and it was good to see them right that wrong. Yeah, I was. I was uh, um, really pleased to get a chance to talk with Rick Goslin on Friday. We we did a, an interview with him, and then I was able to, to fashion a story out of a lot of his comments. Very insightful guy, obviously. For those who don't know Rick, he's a longtime NFL writer, spent the bulk of his career in newspaper at the Dallas Morning News, uh, covered the NFL on a national landscape. He's now with the Talk of Fame Network, but he has been um, – a Hall of Fame selection committee voter for over 20 years, and he's also on the Hall of Fame senior committee. So he was very instrumental in just getting Kramer's candidacy pushed forth again in terms of in front of the senior committee where then they named him a finalist. He gave the presentation at the actual selection committee meeting, the the voting meeting on Super Bowl weekend uh, in uh, this last winter in Minneapolis. And so getting a chance to talk to him and, and, and just hear his perspective was, was really interesting. And what I didn't know is that he grew up in Detroit watching the uh, Packers sweep and Jerry Kramer leading that sweep to demolish his Detroit Lions, the team that, uh, that he grew up rooting for. So, But um, Rick's perspective, very, very valuable in this instance. And, uh, and yeah, the most poignant comment I thought from him was when he said the Hall of Fame had a credibility problem yeah. with Jerry Kramer not being in. The only member of the 50th anniversary team that was chosen by the same Hall of Fame committee, um, one of only two members of the all-60s decade team, 
um, not in the Hall of Fame, five-time Pro Bowler, key member of you know five championship teams, obviously the block in the Ice Bowl. He brought up the field goals, the, the kicking in the 62 championship game in the cold, windy conditions at Yankee Stadium. A 16-7 championship that the Packers won. Jerry Kramer scored 10 of those points. Three field goals and an extra point in really cold, windy conditions at Yankee Stadium. All those kinds of things. And um, the uh, Goslin was very, very pleased that uh, that this credibility issue with the Hall of Fame has now gone away. Yeah, and, I, and as I've always said, and I said this going back to last fall, Mike, it, the Hall of Fame to me, it's about people that change the game. Jerry Kramer changed the game on the field, off the field. He was such a pioneer uh, in terms of putting himself out there. And for my money still... Arguably, if not the greatest ambassador of Green Bay Packers football, one of the top three. And for him to still have that connection, again, whenever he got in, it was going to be good. But the fact he was able to walk that aisle and, and be a part of that, that's what needed to be righted. That's the wrong that needed to be righted. I think it wouldn't have been the same if Jerry wasn't there for it, and I'm glad that he was able to experience it. Yeah, I think that's the greatest blessing of, uh, of this whole thing, and I know we're running out of time here. We have to get going, but I will just say to the fans out there, if you have 18 and a half yeah, minutes, totally. check out that speech. Watch it from beginning to end. You and I can't do it justice just sitting here no. talking about it. So many great things he talked about with Sandpoint, Ohio, Sandpoint, Idaho, excuse me, his college career, his Packers career, his post-Packers career, and just, just an inspiration in, in so many ways. But with that, we're going to sign off on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.